Good evening, everybody. Praise the Lord. How y'all doing this evening? I, um, for those who do not know, uh, my name is Johnny Simpson. I have the uh, wonderful opportunity of serving as pastor of uh, St. Paul UMC. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been there about a year, a little over a year now, uh, going into my second year. We go uh, July to June with uh, when we move our, our, method, our UMC pastors around. Um, and I have been asked, and I'm honored to have the opportunity to fill in for uh, Pastor Hodge. And so uh, we've been, uh, I've known him about as long as I've been on the island as well. Uh, and he uh, asked me to, to fill in. A little bit about myself. Um, I am married t- to Latia Simpson, who was just recently appointed as pastor of Wesley Tabernacle, 12 blocks up the road from me. Um, yeah. Clergy couple. Clergy couple. Um, I am currently... Uh, well, I'm sorry, I'm, I was born in Illinois, raised in Indiana, and uh, came to Texas as fast as I can. I kind of <laughs> bounced around a little bit, was down here in 84, left and came again, and from about 84 to 89, I was in Illinois, 89 to 98, I was in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, and in 98, I moved down here to go to a little institution uh, up the road, 290, uh, by the by, the name of Prairie View A&M University. I don't know if you've heard about it or not. Um, then went on to get my MBA from University of Phoenix. Um, I am currently working on an MDiv at uh, Perkins, and after this semester, I'll have four classes to go. Oh, 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 oh. Sorry, sorry, I felt it, felt it. Four classes, four classes to go. Um, currently bivocational, so my day job, I work as an audiovisual service engineer um, for ExxonMobil as a contractor. I spend my time fixing speakers, microphones, sound systems, all that kind of boring stuff. And then uh, in the spare time, you know, go, go to school and, and try to squeeze pastor in the church and all of that. Uh, along with being married, I have two children, Johnny Simpson III, who is five, and L.B. Simpson, who is four. Um, so just a little bit about myself, you know, just don't want to come up here and nobody know who I am and, you know, figure we, we all family, so we should get to know each other, amen? Amen. So uh, my understanding is uh, I've been working through the uh, Victory and Spiritual Warfare Bible Study Program, and uh, uh, from what I understand, because I've come through a couple times, been covering the armor of God, and so uh, been talking about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the feet to, uh, with the readiness to spread the gospel of peace and the shield of faith. But we've been going uh, through uh, what's going on today and, and keeping 
with uh, the plan of the set man of the house as we're covering the helmet of salvation. Amen. Amen. Uh, the helmet of salvation. Um, so, uh, the helmet of the, 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 the armor of God is found in Ephesians 6, primarily verses uh, 10 through 18. But uh, I, I plan to hop around a little bit. So, uh, we'll do that. So we're talking about salvation, right? Um, and it says that we've been justified. So everybody who calls themselves a Christian who's saved can say that, right? Amen. Uh, justification is the removal of the penalty of sin, right? But justification is just the beginning. We are primarily Methodists in here, right? So uh, we, we, we can trace our lineage back to uh, a man by the name of John Wesley. And John Wesley had a sermon that was called The Scripture Way of Salvation. And he talks about all these means of grace that cover you, that, that prevenient grace that's beforehand in the act of becoming saved, which is that justifying grace. And then you move on to the sanctifying grace. And then you move on. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I was just, I'm just talking right now, uh, but my understanding is it's day three. Uh, so the, the printout he gave me is 137. Uh, but I don't know what you all have, so I don't want to tell you the wrong thing. Okay. Okay. So, uh, provenient grace, justifying grace, the act of, of, of being saved, and then the sanctifying grace, and then... You go on to glory, the glorifying grace. That's primarily where that comes from, those, those means of grace. Kind of putting it in a past tense, uh, the prevenient grace is uh, that covering you have before you know any better. Amen. I don't know about you all, but I, I, I wasn't righteous and pastoral in all my life. So I look at it as that, that covering before I had sense enough to know what was going on. Uh, we was in the Bible, it might be wild, before you were in your mother's room, before you were formed in your mother's room, I would say I knew you. Or, or better yet, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. So that's that prevenient grace, that preventing grace, that covering. And then the justification is the, the accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the sanctification is how you work that salvation out, amen? amen. I can't take credit for the example myself, but one example I've seen is it's kind of like a house. Um, you come up to a house and before you go into the house you're on the porch and when you're on the porch you receive some of the covering of the house but you're not in the house that's the prevenient grace you got some of those benefits and now when you decide to come from outside the house to inside the house you cross the threshold of a door right all right, that's the justification. You can't stay right in the middle of the door. As my mom used to say when I was playing growing up, you're either going to be in or you're going to be out. So that justifying grace is, is crossing the threshold of the door. And then when you come into the house, I would look at that as sanctification. And when you come into the house, some of the things that you wore on the outside of the house are not proper for inside the house. If there is rain going on, you may have a raincoat or an umbrella that does not serve you inside the house. So there are some things when you come inside the house, you're going to have to take off. And when you go into the house, 
Because you don't own particular houses, or if you're going to visit somebody else's house, say your father's house, there are some rules that need to be followed. And if you don't want to follow the rules, you might get kicked out the house. So that is how I look at it when I think about the, the, the prevenient grace and, 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 the, and the justifying grace and the, and the sanctifying grace. And that's how we work out our own salvation. Amen. Amen. It's a continual process. Let's church say process. process. Amen. And so the present tense of the word salvation is the ongoing renewal of a person going through the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit. This removes the power over sin and is believer of a believer and is called sanctification. Glorification, the future tense of salvation, is the removal of the presence of sin. Thus, when the Bible speaks about salvation, it can be referring to either one of these. The justification, the sanctification, or the glorification. And so it's important when you're looking at it to look at the whole salvation. Not just the, the fire insurance, so to speak. Amen. So we look at the whole thing and look at the past, the present and the future terms because we serve a God that is of the past, the present and the future. It's great to be in God's family. But as we get into God's family, there's some work that still needs to be done. Amen. Let's turn to James. Chapter 1. Now I just read the 21st verse from now. I'm reading from the New International Version. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so present, prevalent, rather, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. The word planted in you, which could save you. I like that the text says planted. I've been spending a little time in my leisure studying plants. And I find it interesting, but the, the, the purpose of a plant is to reproduce itself. That's why when you open up different kinds of fruit, it has seeds in it. It's designed to, to reproduce. And that's why, it, and I like it because that transfers into other things. When you go into a manufacturing facility, somewhere where they are building things or putting it together, what do they call that building? A plant. When you go to shop for different kind of food and you're looking for the watermelon and the, and, 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 and the lettuce and the cabbage and the collard greens and all that, it's usually in the produce section. So when we talk about this, letting this word get into you, it's not, it's not only supposed to just get into you, it's supposed to be planted. Mm, and when it's supposed to be planted, you're supposed to use that to produce others. As iron sharpens iron, men sharpens other men. Fail not to assemble thyselves in the presence of God. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We're, we're supposed to operate in community and build other disciples. So we need to lay aside all the filth. Why do we need to lay aside all the filth? Because we don't want to mess up our witness. I was reading a study and, and they say that the fastest growing population of, 
of, of quote-unquote believers right now are the nuns, N-O-N-E, nuns, non-affiliated. That means they don't want to be connected to any particular religion or denomination. They don't have a problem with God. They don't have a problem with Jesus. Their problem is with the people in the church. I tell my church all the time, even though I am preaching for a living, even though I have reverend in front of my name like that means something, they all will preach and you all will preach more sermons than I ever do. You all will be the only Bible certain people read. You are always somebody's perception of a Christian. They are on the fence about what this Jesus is and whether or not this Jesus can clean my life up and whether or not this Jesus can save my soul and keep me from death, hell, and the grave. They're on the fence and they're deciding whether or not to try this Jesus based on how the people who call themselves Christians treat them. So we need to be able to lay aside all of that and be able to produce more disciples. And when I was studying the text, I came across some different stories about uh, uh, ugly versus beautiful. And you want to lay another reason you want to lay aside all of the things that are evil and plant the word in you is because you want to be beautiful on the inside. Whatever is on the inside is what's going to come out. And you might be able to do a good job of hiding it. You might be able to put the mask on. But if it's not in you, what else is in you is what's going to come out at the wrong time. And so we got to be as members of God's family. We need to ask ourselves, am I spiritually ugly? Am I reflecting the righteousness of Christ today? What am I thinking about? What am I saying? What am I acting? How am I treating others? Do I look like I've been hit with an ugly stick of sin? We need to ask ourselves the question and not just answer the textbook answer. We, we, we need to have a, a, a real look at ourselves and ask that stuff and instead of trying to justify everything. And I figure one way to do that is to also go to somebody who knows you. That's why we need to be in relationship and community with people. We need to be able to have people around us to hold each other accountable. I am a fan of the anonymous community. Alcoholic anonymous, cocaine anonymous, narcotic anonymous. Why? Because they've taken a whole bunch of stuff from the Bible, made it secular, but still use the principles. And that's how people are able to hold to, to, to stay off of the narcotic and not pick up a drink for 20, 30, how the rest of their lives, why one of the main things that they do is they hold each other accountable. They have a community that's together. I'm reminded of my New Testament uh, 
professor right now in my head. She used to drill this in, the, in my head all the time. Dr. Jeremy Clark Souls. You cannot be a Christian outside a community. I'm going to say it again. You cannot be a Christian outside of community. Uh, they asked Jesus, one of the Pharisees asked him right around Matthew 22, uh, one of the Pharisees who was a lawyer asked him a question to test him and he said, Jesus, which of the commandments is the greatest? And he said, you should love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And a second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. How are we treating those around us? What representative of the church are we being? Are we exhibiting that love? Are we letting some of that filth that we didn't take off or lay aside come out towards them? And so when you're in community, when you're hanging around people that can hold you accountable and say, no, that's wrong. You need to do that better or that are able to pick you up when you stumble. You're able to walk out this sanctification. Amen. Amen. And you're able to be beautiful on the inside as well as the out. I grew up in a church in Indianapolis, Indiana, by the name of uh, Light of the World Christian Church. And the pastor there, Bishop T. Carrot Benjamin, used to say all the time, if there is joy in your heart, there is no reason to keep that secret from your face. So we need to be beautiful on the outside and the inside. There's an old story that I was reminded of before the days of black people meet and e-harmony and Christian mingle. Uh, There was a man and a woman who met and corresponded by mail. And they have finally agreed to meet up with each other in person. They hadn't exchanged pictures or nothing. They lived in two different cities. And so they picked a city and they would meet up at the train station. And because they had never seen any pictures of each other, they had no idea how either one looked. So they, they, they came up with a visual code and they said that uh, the woman would wear a green scarf, a green hat, and a, and a green carnation to let them know who to go to. And so the man went to the train station and he got off the train looking for this woman that he had fell in love with, scanning everywhere. And he, he, his eyes sets upon finally this green hat, this green scarf, and this green carnation. And then his heart sunk. The story says that this was the most homely, unattractive woman he'd ever laid eyes on. He almost got back on the train without saying a word. But he decided, I've come this far. I need to at least have a conversation with this lady in person. And so he walked up to her and introduced herself. And she said, I'm glad to see you. And the woman said, can you tell me what this is all about? This woman over here gave me this hat, this scarf, and $20 and sat on the bench and told me to meet up with you. And when he looked at the bench and found out it was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen, And it says later that he explains all her life, men fell over themselves to get to her, only to become tongue-tied in her presence and all because of her looks. 
And so she wanted to meet someone who cared about the inside as well as the outside. So we got to treat people better. We can't just say that we are Christians. We got to do the work. We got to do the work on the outside and we got to do the work on the inside. Uh, uh, turn with me to James. We still in James. Uh, this one ain't in the in the Bible study, but I just thought about it. Uh, turn in chapter two, verse sixteen. No, I'm fourteen. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to fourteen. Uh, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? If someone claims to have faith, but no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accomplished. That is, if not accompanied by action, is dead. We can't just pull up to the, the, the to the stoplight and see that person holding a sign and say, "Be fed in the name of Jesus." There's power in the name. There's healing in the name. There's deliverance in the name. There's provision in the name. But where's your deeds to go along with that? We got to be able to do things to work it out. How we treat the people, how we talk to people, how we do the works. What are those kind of works? Flip back to uh, chapter one, still in James. Uh, Chapter one, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight ring on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Back to that community thing, back to that walking out our salvation, back to that doing work. Amen. You took care of the widows and the orphans back then because women and children couldn't really get jobs and the jobs that they got weren't able to support themselves. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus back then, you needed to be able to take care of those who were less fortunate than you. The widows and the orphans couldn't take care of themselves. And so the people who were able to support themselves had to step up and support the community. So who are the widows and orphans now? I would argue that the widows and orphans are those who don't have Jesus. You need to be able to take care of those who are a little less fortunate than that. And since we have access to Jesus Christ and we we don't have to worry about death, hell, and the grave, we need to be able to take care of those who are a little less fortunate than us and bring them up. We have to do the work. 
we have to produce. Jesus said for us to go out and make disciples of the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have to produce. The word is being planted in us every Sunday and Wednesday. Where's the fruit? They say that the litmus test for any church is if it closed down tomorrow, would the community miss it? Sanctification is our focus as we look at the helmet of salvation. And James wrote that verse to fellow believers, just as Paul did in Ephesians, who are already saved in a sense of justification. He urged his listeners to continue to humbly receive the gospel, the implanted word. The seeds are being planted, allow that fruit to go forth in your life, which is able to save them. And salvation in the passage is, is becoming, is the process rather of becoming more like Christ. Let's go to Romans 1 and 16 says for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and to the Gentile for I am not ashamed of the gospel I am not ashamed of the gospel are we proud to be Christians Do we rep Jesus as hard as we rep that team in Dallas with the star? I'm, I'm a child of free agency, so I, my, my father is always confused about this because I don't necessarily root for teams after I know that they go from team to team and player to player, but I still love a good game of football. But some, some of the people that are the most adamant fans I've learned are the cowboy fans. That's okay. We all make mistakes. No, I'm just like... <laughs> 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 Pastor ain't gonna let me have me back. I'll be... <laughs> If you like your team, rep your team. Represent your team hard. But do we rep Jesus that hard? Only what you do for Christ will last. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand Forever. Another example I've told at my church before, uh, probably more than once, but I am surprised 
Uh, anybody familiar with Russell Simmons? <laughs> Def Jam. A couple years ago, he came to Houston and did an in-studio interview with 97.9 The Box. This man, for those who may not be familiar with him, started a hip-hop record label called Def Jam. Has bought and sold it back, bought and sold it back many times over to major labels. Turned it into a clothing line and a multimedia company and all of these other things. But the start was hip-hop music. Last time I read something about his net worth, it was somewhere in the upwards of four to five hundred million off of music. I'm not hating on music. I love music. I spent my days as an audio engineer. That, that's, that's how I earned my bread from time to time. No problem with music, but I bring up Russell Simmons for this point. Russell Simmons went in the studio to 97.9 The Box to people who get paid to play the top music and ask them a simple question. What was the number one song six months ago? Nobody could remember. What was the number one song a year ago? Nobody could remember. Here he is making hundreds of millions of dollars off of it, and he was making a point to them that that music doesn't last. Even other hits that last 20 and 30 years, that's still a drop in the bucket. And most of the people associated don't remember it as much either. either. But here they are making millions of dollars off of it. And it's here today, going tomorrow. (laughs) But we know that 2,000 years ago, or over 2,000 years ago, there was a man born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead with all power in his hand and is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. We know that. That lasted. Not only that, but he's coming back again. Not only that, but the story that they put for him has been recorded and is the number one selling story of all time. There's a reason it lasts here and that won't. Only what you do for Christ will last. And so if only what you do for Christ will last, you need to represent it. Just as hard and even harder as you do your favorite sports team or where you're from or where you work or who your people are. Represent that just as much and don't be ashamed. The gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believeth in it shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Bible also says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The Bible also says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what's missing from all of that? Restrictions. We don't have a heaven or hell to put nobody else in. 
And just as much as we might be surprised as somebody else getting into heaven, somebody else is going to be just as surprised as we got into heaven. Salvation is available for all who want it. Now, if you don't want it, if you want to turn away from it, that's on you. But the church, the Christian way, this thing that we call life in Jesus is not some sort of club. That's not open for new membership. It's not a fraternity or sorority that decided not to have a line this semester. It's open for all. It's our deliverance. It's our access to Jesus. And we ought not be ashamed about it. The word salvation means to be delivered. And it's the power of God not only to deliver from hell in the future, but hell in the present. I'm going to say that again. It's the power of God not only to deliver, uh, uh, deliver not only from hell in the future, but also from hell in the present. Hell is not just something that's going to happen to non-believers when you die. There are people who are experiencing hell on earth right now. People who are waking up and have no place to go. No one to call family. No place to lay their head. Don't know where their next meal is coming from. Hell is described as separation from God. I would imagine if you woke up with no food, no clothes, no place to lay your head and and, uh, no family and nothing going on for your life. I think you would you would think you were separated from God. So when we do the good works, we need to be reaching out to those people. But not only those people, sometimes they in our pews. You never know what the person next to you is going through right now. And when they're going through it, even though you may have been through something similar, it ain't the same because experiences are different for each person. So we got to watch how we treat each other. I heard someone once say that Christians was the only army that shoots its own wounded. People in here looking for a breakthrough and getting treated badly. Not this church. I'm just saying the church in general. Fighting over positions, trying to determine who we think is worthy of what position or not. (laughs) Fighting for pastor's attention, trying to control a ministry. Not this church. I ain't been here. I'm just talking about the big church with a big C, the church in general. We are hurting our own. And then we wonder why the churches aren't growing. 
I was doing some church plant research and I was looking at the Houston area at the time and the Houston area had, uh, when the first report came out, had about five million people in the Houston metropolitan area. And on any given Sunday, only 400,000 of those five million people were going to church. Sad part is, is when they did the study a few years later when the population had grown from 5 million to 6.3 million in the Houston metropolitan area, the number of people still going to church still remained at 400,000. There's work to be done. There are souls to be saved. And again, I say they don't have a problem with Jesus. They don't have a problem with God. Their problem is with some of the people who are in the church. Acting like they have it all together already. You need to get on my level before you can come to my church. If you ain't ready to get to my level, you might need to stay out there. The Bible says come out from among them. Again, not not this church. I'm just saying the church in general. But the gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes. And we need to represent it. And we need to represent it not just for one hour a week on Sunday and another hour on Wednesdays. There's a lot of things we need to be delivered from addictions and relationships and stinking thinking. How we handle our money, how we talk to people. This this Christianity thing is supposed to be a way of life, not just something we dress up for on Sunday and then go get something to eat later. It's a way of life. And that way of life, we have to practice and walk out by getting in the word. So I, I, I work as an audio engineer as my day job. And I'm, I'm doing okay at my day job. I get a lot of phone calls to solve a lot of problems. Projector breaks, call Johnny. Uh, I, I service, there are 1,562 conference rooms at the Houston campus of Exxon Mobil, and I'm responsible. I can be called to any one of them. And in these rooms, there could be a projector or a flat screen TV that's being controlled by a touch panel. There can be a switcher that switches from, from cable TV to a laptop input to the Apple TV. It's a bunch of other stuff going on in the day, and any one of these rooms can break down, and when they break down, the person goes on the touch panel presses a question mark with help under it, and then uh, a service technician like myself is dispatched to the room. And I do all right for myself. I got a pretty high closure rate. I close my tickets pretty fast, and everybody kind of blows my heads up from time to time. Oh, Johnny's so great. Johnny's the greatest. I don't let them stick because I know they can say I'm great now, but if I mess up tomorrow... But right now, I'm in, I'm in my job's good graces. But the funny thing about it is, is I don't think I do anything that spectacular. The reason I don't think I do anything that spectacular is because I read the instructions. 
it's a million dollars worth of equipment sitting in a rack. But every one of those devices has a, a set of letters and numbers on it. Crestron CP3, Crestron DMX 16 by 16, Apple TV. Well, guess what? I can go online and find the instruction manual for every one of those devices. And so when something breaks down, because in my downtime, I've been spending this time reading the instruction manual, I can come in and somebody else who may have spent an hour or two trying to repair it, I can get it fixed in a button push. Why? Because I read the instructions. Well, as we go through this thing called life, there's an instruction manual out there that if we spend some time in it, in our leisure times, we'll learn about it and we'll know who we are and whose we are. Did you know that you are the apple of God's eye? Did you know that you are the righteousness of God? Did you know that you are the head and not the tail? Did you know you're supposed to be the lender and not the borrower? That you're supposed to be above and never beneath? Did you know that no weapon formed against you is supposed to prosper? Did you know that? You spend the time in the word, you'll be able to know. You worried about provision. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Spend some time in the word. Walking it out. You spend that time in the word, you'll know what it means to walk it out. You'll know what you've been delivered from. You'll know that you've been delivered. And that'll give you the opportunity to flee temptation. You know, if the enemy wants to sidetrack you, they're going to send what you like. If you know you like a woman that looks a particular way, certain kind of hair length, certain kind of build, and you're trying to stay faithful, the enemy's going to send what you like your way. They're going to try to push your buttons, but if you spend the time in the Word, if you spend the time being disciplined, you'll be able to resist it. The Bible says for every temptation, there's a way of escape. So if you spend that time getting disciplined, you'll be able to spot the way of escape. So we have to understand that when we're walking out this salvation, it's not just about the past, us joining. It's not just about the present, but it's also for the future. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And go to verse 8. Amen. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So salvation is by grace. Salvation is through faith. 
And salvation is for us to do the good works. It's by grace. Grace is not something you deserve. None of us deserve salvation. We are all but filthy rags to Jesus. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no restriction. There's no qualifier. All is all. But if it had not been for the Lord Jesus stepping out of eternity, putting on human clothes, learning what it was like to be hungry, to be sick, to be angry, to need rest, living a life that we could not live, not sinning, dying a death that we could not die. He was innocent, could have called down 10,000 angels. But if he'd have got off that cross, I'd have had to get up on the cross. So he decided to stay on the cross and die just for us and take all of our sins with. So all that we had to do is believe and choose Jesus Christ and walk it out. And so it's by grace and it's through faith. None of us were there. We got to believe it. And it's to do good works. So you're saved. Now what? You going to heaven and what you going to do about it? Just going to sit up in your house and hope everybody else figure it out like you did. The the, the people in need ain't going to get no help. They need to figure out about Jesus. Maybe I'll help them then. But no, not right now. We are saved by grace through faith to do the good works. To love our neighbor, to take care of the widows and orphans, to walk out this sanctification, to hold each other accountable, to gather in the name and worship Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. We have to walk it out. So the salvation is by grace and through faith and for the good works. Turn to Colossians. Chapter 2. And I'll just read the sixth verse. And it says, So then, just if you as just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Just as you have received Christ Jesus. As your Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Salvation is by faith and, and, and by grace through faith and for the good works. And Paul is telling the people, the believers in Coloss, the same thing. They're saved by grace through faith to do the good works. 
You know, I like Paul and I like the letters that he wrote because I've started to notice a pattern in my studies. Paul goes to a place or he sends somebody to a place. The people learn about Jesus. Paul or whoever he sent moves on. And somebody comes behind them and thinks, what Paul said was cool, but you need some extra stuff on top of it. We need to add some stuff. And then Paul goes and has to write a letter and say, no, this is what it is. Jesus, as he was writing to the church in Colossus, they were getting caught up in circumcision and festivals and a bunch of extra stuff. You kind of in the family, but you're not all the way in the family. And for you to get in the family, you're going to have to come up to my level and do some other things. Paul taught you a little bit, but allow me to add some extra on. Ain't no extra to be added on to Jesus. Ain't, Ain't no extra that needs to be added on to Jesus. And so he's telling them that. And he's telling them to continue to live your lives in him. Not living in any smooth talker that comes around. Not living in anybody that's coming around and adding some extra tasks on, on, your, on your salvation. Is Jesus not enough for you? Did you need something else besides him dying on the cross? If you found it, please let me know so I can stay far away from you. And you have to live your life in Christ. You have to live your life in Christ because it's no longer your life. Galatians 2.20 says that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It is not I who lives, but the Christ in me. You're taking Jesus everywhere you go. Even the places you don't think you took him. You're taking Jesus with you every time you talk to somebody. You're taking Jesus every time you argue with your coworker at work. You taking Jesus and how you talk to your children. Our family is our first ministry. If we can't be Jesus to them, how can we be Jesus to anybody else? There is work to be done. I feel like I'm repeating myself. Am I repeating myself? These scriptures seem to come across a theme. There is still work to be done. We've all been saved and we've got work to do. Just because you have a better team does not excuse you from playing the game. I have yet to see a team show up to the field and say, yeah, we better than you. So we just go ahead and going to put the win in our column and we can all go home. Y'all good with that? I've not seen a team do that. I've not seen a team accept that. No, you still have to play the game. Many a team gets upset because they come in thinking that they've already won. You still have to play the game. And so there's work to be done and we need to live a life 
that is Christ-like. We have to play the game. And so living that life that is Christ-like is how we work out our sanctification. Let's say you love to think about salvation by grace, but you never think about it as being for good works. Bible study says that you're likely to become lazy, simply sitting around waiting to die and go to heaven without any regard for the battle going on around you. On the other hand, if you overemphasize salvation for good works, you're apt to lapse into legalism, trying to earn God's approval, which has already been given to you through Jesus. So we need to keep all of these aspects of salvation in tension. We need to be well-rounded. We need not to just think about what happened in the past, not just what's happening now, but also think about the future and walk through our lives, work out our salvation, walk in sanctification. We've got the get out of jail free pass. We've got the fire insurance. But now what? Is it really doing you any good if you keep it just for yourself? Is it really doing any good if you say up and don't do any more work for Jesus? Our minds are protected by the helmet of salvation. And once we get our minds right, we're able to start doing right. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the speaker and the hearers. Those who have heard it and those who will hear it. That it will bless them and that those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Will ask, what must I do to become saved? In the name of the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.